Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast with Chris Buda and Brett Hammond. Chris is a lawyer, pastor, and nonprofit executive, and Brett is a producer and business owner. This is part one of our series after last week's introduction. And this week, Chris discusses how leaders are pursuers and how he saw this principle play out while being recruited to be on the show Family Feud. So that's October 2011. We go home, Cindy was there, her mom and dad were there, my, my wife and my in-laws, and we all had to laugh and we did eat because I'm always hungry. So we're feeding the four boys who are laughing. October 2011, we hear nothing from anyone for six, seven months. And to be honest, again, our intent in going down was having some fun. It was free. It was a great afternoon. It was a life experience. I always try to do that with my kids. Again, I mentioned earlier that because of our life choices and being a nonprofit, we don't we weren't always flying around the world doing stuff that some other families were able to do. But we always had the opportunity to have these life moments. And that wasn't one of them. It was fun. But because of that, we also don't have expectations we put on other people. So it was one. It was done. It was fun. It was a story that I've told often. The boys get to tell. But there's no expectation that we're actually going to get called. Fast forward to mid-April, late April 2012. I'm in a meeting. My cell phone's going off. So first of all, that's weird because, again, in this day and age, no one calls anymore, do they? Uh, I'm a 55-year-old man. I do a little bit, but I've, I've realized that most people just want to text or email or snap Snapchat you. But uh, the phone rings. Well, as I'm, lo- I'm looking at the number, it's a Hollywood, California number, and there's no name to it. Well, I don't know about you, but most people I assume as well like me, if there's no name on the number, I'm not picking it up. If I know you, I'll answer it. But if I don't know you, leave a message if you really want to talk to me. Yeah. So I'm in the middle of the meeting. I notice I let it go. I notice about an hour later, still in the same meeting, the same number calls. Again, let it go. Don't step out of the meeting. So later that afternoon, I'm checking my messages, and there's two messages from this California number. Uh, it was from a young man named Carlos. Well, Carlos was one of the producers. I don't believe I had met Carlos set in Pittsburgh with Gabby and Sarah were the names of the, the women who were in Pittsburgh who did a great job. But uh, Carlos leaves the message to say, hey, Mr. Buddha, it's Carlos of Family Feud. We have your tape from when you were in, we were in Pittsburgh in, in October this year. Uh, Gabby and Sarah really liked you guys. We'd like to set up a time for you to come down this summer and take Family Feud. Well, I'm listening to him and go, that's awesome. I hang up. I hit clear on the, on the uh, message. Because in my head, the investment that we made was the investment we made. I was not, I was no longer interested in making any further investment. And so some people say, that's crazy. You know, you have an opportunity to do the show. I said, well, my understanding was we have an opportunity to fly us down, but there's still no guarantee to get on the show. And second of all, I realized that there were some hurdles we'd have to clear. So again, I mentioned my four sons. Literally that summer, summer 2012, uh, Trevor, the youngest, was in a production. So I thought, how do you leave in the middle of a production? Mark was in the middle of football training, which maybe you get out of, but he was a pretty serious athlete, and that would be hard. JT was in Beijing, being the Chinese major. That year he spent, I think it was three months, two and a half months in Beijing. So how are we going to work with him? And Andrew just graduated college and was starting a job where he is. And I'm thinking, he's not going to take off time when he just started a job. So to me, there were hurdles in my mind that were impossible to clear. And so it's like, hey, that was fun. We had kicks and giggles. Thanks for the invitation. I'm just going to ignore it. So literally within 24 hours, he calls back a couple times. I don't return his phone calls. 30 hours later, all of a sudden my phone lights up with numbers I, I, I recognize. Andrew Buddha, JT Buddha, <laughs> Mark Buddha, Trevor Buddha. I'm like, whoa, whoa I, I'm getting concerned. Like so, something happened. They're all calling me once. The messages I'm getting from them are, why are you not calling Family Feud back? When we registered in October, they listed the whole family. Just because I'm the patriarch of our family, 
they had everyone else's name and cell number. And when I didn't return the calls, they started calling the kids. And the boys are calling me saying, what is wrong with you? Why would you, here's our chance to do the show. I thought that's what we were about. I said, no, what we're about was having fun one Sunday afternoon for free in Pittsburgh. This is more of an investment. There's more hurdles to be cleared. And then they kind of came back to bite me because the way I brought up my son's like, well, hurdles are meant to be cleared. Let's figure out how to clear them. But here's an opportunity. Let's do this. So long and short of it, I call back Carlos and say, Carlos, what are you looking at? Well, from late May until the middle of August, I went, the only time it'll work is the last week you're taping in the middle of August because JT's in Beijing. There's no way in Hades he's coming back for this show. Uh, and we're not doing it without JT. And you know, he even mentioned having Cindy do it. I said, no, my wife is much smarter than that. She will. Ref- she didn't even. She could have tried out with us. She didn't even do the tryout with us. We could have had six tryouts. She's like, no, you do that with your sons. She she knows when to distance herself safely from the train wreck that's about to occur. So Carlos said, okay, well then you'll be one of the last days. But let's set this up. And I'm like, you're gonna be kidding me. I was kind of. They're a TV show. Steve Harvey's big time. They're I think they're the number one rated show. I don't know if they've topped Jeopardy or not, but they're big. I'm like playing hardball saying the only day I'll work in all the 12 weeks you're doing is the last three days. He's like, okay, let's do it. Uh, so we end up setting this up and going down. I was speaking at a young life camp in Virginia. Uh, no, excuse me. I was managing. So I wasn't an upfront person, but I was managing it. So I called my boss and said, look, I need two and a half, three days. We're going to go down to film family feud. And my boss being generous. And again, as soon as you say you're going to film family feud, most people stand on your head just thinking that'd be a great opportunity. So I fly from Virginia. My kids fly from all over the country. We meet in Atlanta and we film this. Well, I'm going to tell the story throughout the next couple conversations we have together. But what happened down there was really illuminating to me. And it's amazing how sometimes you learn stuff when you least expect to be learning. Most of us think we learn lessons when you go to class. You know, you go, you go to class and you... You take out your pen and paper, or nowadays you take out your, your computer and you write down notes. If we were employed, we go do training. Most people now, in different, regardless of industry, I think there's a training program. We're supposed to have information downloaded. We're going to learn stuff. We're going to do things. Or we're going to find out what, what life's all about and what this job's all about and how to implement this stuff. One thing I've learned over the years that for me personally, at first I thought it was just a, maybe who I am, but I'm convinced this is who we are as humanity. I think we can learn a lot more when you keep your eyes open, just walking through life day to day. And so Family Feud, Steve Harvey, huge comedian. I'll tell some stories about him too. Really, I I really love the guy. I don't know what everyone else's opinion on. I love the man. I'm going to tell you why too. The producers down there, the Sarahs, the Gabbies, the Bryces, the Carlos, uh, great people and phenomenal leaders. And after going down there and filming, we fly down to Atlanta and I'll tell some stories about that as well. But what has developed is, uh, I think it was Robert Fulgham wrote Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Does that book even sound familiar to you? (laughs) Sorry. I think it might be from the 90s. Someone out there might be going, oh man, that's from the 80s. But I mean, that's going back. But it was this idea of, I I, I love the idea was that, hey, sometimes we can learn stuff in our simplicity of life. When we're little kids and we're we're that age running around. And so uh, I I remember that book was in the back of my head. But when I came back from tape and Family Feud, I went, I mean, there's a whole lot of leadership lessons I learned from watching these, this production of Family Feud and being involved in that. And I'd love to share some of those issues. The first one kind of that jumped out to me was the fact that in many ways, if we're talking about what leadership is, I think I knew this, but I was reminded of this. Leadership, leaders are pursuers. You know, nowadays we want to be pursued. I don't know nowadays. I think that's probably always, it always feels better to be pursued. Yeah. If, if there's a friendship to be had, 
it's nice if someone reaches out to us, is it not? Yeah, for it, sure. It's easier if someone reaches out to us. Much easier. Uh, and depending on dating stuff, we can talk about that. But it is sometimes difficult to horse up enough strength and internal fortitude to ask someone who you're interested in, hey, would you like to go out? It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier when someone passes you a note when you're in junior high or high school, Brett, and say, Sally thinks Brett's cute. He, she likes your, and you're like, yeah, I am. Uh, <laughs> but as people who are trying to be leaders in life, leaders in our family, leaders in industry, leaders in nonprofits, wherever we are, uh, I think sometimes we can get in the habit of wanting to be sit back and be pursued. And again, I think I've seen this other places, but it was something that was really grabbed my attention with the family feud story I just told that leaders are pursuers. So Carlos and I think Sarah also, I, I still may have the messages on my phone because just for posterity's sake, it's like, it's pretty cool that these, these folks are calling us to ask us to be on the show. But I didn't return Carlos's phone call for 24 hours, 30 hours. Uh, he called me five or six times, left me messages. He's one of the producers of a really successful TV show. I'm some schlep who really doesn't mean anything. I couldn't get an answer right at the tryout. But as leaders and as people who are producing a show, for whatever reason, you'd have to ask them. I think I can know some. For whatever reason, they ID'd the Buddha boys, the Buddha family, as someone they want on their show. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that it was a dad and four sons. Because Steve Harvey, while we are taping, actually mentioned that at one point. He said, you know, I, I'm, I can't remember the last time we just had a dad and four sons. He goes, and they're all children. And he looked at the boys. He goes, I'm not being crazy. They understood. There were two in college, two in high school. So he was like, I don't remember having this many kids and just a dad. So I think there was that take. Uh, I think Family Feud also does a, a really intentional and I think a really good job of trying to be multicultural, multiracial, and, and reach out to cross all sorts of spectrum of people. So if you notice, there's usually never just two families of the same color or ethnicity. You have a black family, white family, Asian family. But I, again, I think it's a healthy diversity that they try to implement. Uh, so they're looking at us, you know, all male, all white kids, kind of all American kids, not necessarily real funny, but kind of the all shucks kid. I think there was that there was a paradigm they're looking for that they want different samplings. So as I'm sitting at, in Pittsburgh going, bro, don't bother me, man. It's like we don't bring that much to the table. In their mind, the producers are saying this is what we've earmarked as someone that we think we need in the show. And they pursued us. And when I didn't answer the phone, Carlos started pursuing my kids. And when I said, hey, we can't show up, uh, then he said, well, when can you show up? But they, 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 instead of putting up obstacles, they were knocking down obstacles. When they get their obstacle is, hey, this guy didn't call me back. They didn't just hang up the phone and say, on to the next. Again, for whatever reason, they said, this is someone we've earmarked. We want this family on the show that we produce to bring in ratings, that we have a, a system that flows. They fit that system. We're going to push them to come on the show. And everyone's like, oh, how lucky were you? I was like, they, they pursued us. Uh, how does this apply in normal life? Again, I think so many folks desire relationships, desire the next job, and yet we're timid and hold back, and instead of pursuing, we hope we're pursued. We send in a resume off a website. We send it in and then go, I didn't get a call back. Well, they got a 1,000 resumes. What are you going to do? I would, I would contend that there's a little bit more to do. I've, I've seen that with my own kids who are talented young men and, and successful in the businesses and industries they've gone into. But uh, the oldest, I remember coming out of college, had an opportunity to talk to someone who was in his industry and through a connection of mine. And I'm a big connector and a networker, realizing if you're going to get a job, you better do it on your talent. But it doesn't hurt when there's a connection. And so I said, Andrew, you know, contact this guy. Two weeks later, I said, Andrew, did you contact him? He said, I sent him an email. I said, and he goes, you didn't get back to me. I said, call him again. 
Email him, call up, show up. And, and Andrew's very sharp and, I said, extremely talented artist, photographer. But initially, as a 22-year-old kid coming out of college, he's like, well, I, I did what you told me. Again, he was doing the right thing. But I said, you got to pursue. you got to call the guy. you got to show up down there and say, "You, I was told that you said I could talk to you, so I'm here. I said, literally, you got to keep knocking on the door until someone says, F you. And I'm, I'm being crass, but I'm serious. We're not interested. We're not buying. Okay, now I can shut the door. And uh, the good salespeople would say, don't, that's, <laughs> that just means no right now. But, but just in life in general, the idea of pursuing. And I said, Andrew, you, go the extra mile, man. Just call him again. Ask him again. I was like, he, he said he wanted to talk to you. Well, the long and short it was, Andrew made a couple extra phone calls. And the guy said, sorry, I've been busy. Come on down. That's where Andrew works today and has a great career. But it all started with that. And I can't help but thinking, Andrew being a very normal, smart, talented 22-year-old college grad who's a collegiate athlete for a little bit, was a high school wrestler, just he, he, not a shrinking lily. But there's something about, man, it's hard to push when we're not sure how we're going to be received. It's hard to ask for something when we, told, we think we're being told no. In nonprofit, for 30 years that I've been doing, different nonprofits, a big part of my job has been raising money. And that can be so hard on the soul, man, because it's so hard making an ask and people saying no. It's even harder just saying, hey, I want to talk to you about this and people ignoring you because they don't want you to ask them in the first place. And so just like sales, fundraising for nonprofits can often be just 95% no's or get away from me or I don't, I'm not interested. And for many years, that beat me down and took the life out of me until I realized that I'm to, supposed to pursue this. I'm doing this because what I'm doing means something to me because I care about the nonprofit, because I care about the ministry I was involved in, because I want I want this to work and I want this to be successful. Not even so much for me, but just because it's I was convinced it's the right thing. And when I got outside of myself and realized, hey, I'm just doing what I'm called to do, and people respond the way they're called to respond, and that doesn't lighten who I am or denigrate who I am, it become much easier to make the second phone call, to make the third phone call, and make someone say, I'm not interested, I'm not, I'm not doing it. But I think for so many of us, and Brett, you've been through... How many different jobs have you had since college? That's um, off the top of your head. That might be hard. About 12. Okay. And you've been out of college about 12, 13 yeah, years? Yeah, graduated 07, so about 12 years. Okay. I don't, I don't think that's an oddity nowadays. You know, for your dad or for your grandpa, I'm guessing for those men and women who've passed on, and particularly if you're going back to your grandpa, who've been mostly men back in those days, worked at one job for 40 or 50 years and retired. Yeah. I don't know because yeah. I don't know if your grandpa had passed your your grandparents passed. Yeah, my but, grandfather had one job. Yeah, uh, my dad was a New York City cop for thirty years. Retired, thought he was going to be quiet and drive a school bus at that for a year, and then went back to work for the sheriff's department for another fifteen years. So, couple jobs in the same industry. Well, I, I think for younger your generation, there's people I read somewhere. Not only are they changing jobs, they're changing careers. They're going. I know a young guy who's one of my uh, kids I used to work with. Brilliant kid, went to UVA, was, a, I think, an electrical engineer. Got out, did that for two years, went, I don't want to do this. Went back, got his teaching degree. He's a teacher now at a local high school. He's a great teacher, fantastic. But, I mean, that used to be an oddity. That's more common. People finishing a degree, working for a few years. Now I'm going to do something else. But in order to be successful, if, you, if you're going to have to look for a new job every year or two years or go try to get another academic program, I would just encourage us as leaders to say the number one thing we have to understand is that we are pursuers. That as much as it's fun being pursued, as much as it's fun being recruited, uh, if we want to be successful and if we want to call ourselves leader and wear that moniker, we have the people who pursue people. When I was coming out of high school, I was a better wrestler and football player, but I got recruited by some schools to play football. Uh, the only letter I kept 
was a recruiting letter I got from West Point because it was signed by Lou Saban, whose name probably means nothing to anyone younger than me. But Lou Saban was the head coach of West Point in 1980 when I was graduating high school in 81. But Lou had been the pro football coach. He'd been the Buffalo Bills head coach and coached O.J. Simpson when O.J. was known for football, not all the other antics. And O.J. was the first guy, uh, football fans, 72 or 1973, rushed for over 2,000 yards. So as a little kid, that was like, you know, O.J. was the man. He was beautiful to watch running and he did some great stuff. So I'm getting recruited by his coach 10 years later when when he's uh, at West Point. I kept that. And I thought, you know, that's something special. I ended up wrestling college, not playing football, going to a different school. But it was something that was cool to be recruited. And I realized the other day, I was like, I, I kept that because I was so impressed that people were pursuing me. How much more so as a fundraiser for a nonprofit, as a salesperson, as an employee? I remember how good that felt for me. Not only is it a good leadership principle, it just also honors people to pursue them. To say, hey, you're important. Hey, you're you're an integral part of what we're doing. Well, you're just trying to sell me something. I'd like to share with you the vision I have or something. And you're important enough that I want to give you an opportunity. And then also respect people enough, obviously, for your sales or not or fundraising. If people aren't interested, say the walk away and say that's okay too. Mm-hmm. But pursue people, pursue people, pursue people. That was the first thing I learned from my Family Feud experience. I had a five or six leadership lessons I learned from Family Feud. It was leaders or pursuers. Thanks so much for listening. Next week in part two, Chris will discuss the importance of communication and leadership. This podcast is recorded and produced by me, Brett Hammond, at www.bhammond.com.